Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. The book of 2 Samuel, chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, and after this, David inquired of the Lord and said, shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, go up. And David said, to which shall I go up? Don't you love how dependent on the direction of God David is? He says, to which shall I go up? And he said, go to Hebron. So David went up there along with his two wives, Ahinoam from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David brought up his men who were there with him. And everyone with his household, everyone goes up when the leader goes up. And they lived in the towns of Hebron and the men of Judah came there and they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And when they told David it was the men of Jabesh Gilead who buried Saul, David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh Gilead and, they said to, and he said to them, may you be blessed by the Lord because you showed this loyalty to Saul your Lord and buried him. And now may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. And I will do good to you because you have done this thing. And now therefore let your hand be strong and valiant for Saul your Lord is dead and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. Father God, we thank you for your love and your steadfast faithfulness. I thank you for your goodness that rests on this house. I thank you for your anointing that rests on this house, God. And I thank you for what you're doing in this season. God, we speak, give us open hearts, give us open minds, give us open spirits to whatever you're doing in this moment. God, we say whatever you're doing, we wanna be right in the middle of it. So form us to be more like you, Jesus. And today I ask that your words come forth, God. Help me to speak what you have spoken to me, God. Help me to declare it with confidence and with clarity and let it change us and form us and move us forward, Jesus. In your mighty name, amen. 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 You're welcome to be seated where you are right now. The message that I have for today is a message that I believe is a really intentional, purposeful word for, from God for this house, for this moment, for this season. If I'm honest with you, I wanted to preach it a couple of weeks ago. Normally when I'm working on a message, I have like kind of a couple things that I'm working on at the same time. I normally have the message I'm working on, which is for that weekend, and then I have another message which I'm kind of like just throwing ideas at. Not really working on, but it's for a couple weeks from now. And a few weeks ago, I was working on this message. It was my intention to preach this message. And I was like midway through the week and I'm working on it and I'm adding things to it. And I kept hearing God say, I don't want you to preach that message this weekend. And I was like, God, I know you gave me this message. And he was like, it's not for this weekend. And he kept being like, I want you to preach it in a couple weeks. And because I'm slow, I kept arguing with God. And I was like, no, no, God, like, I got it. Like, I heard what you said, and I get it, and I've been like, I got it. I'm going to do it this weekend. And he was like, it's not for this weekend. 
is for a couple weekends from now. And then I'm like, God, but like, that's not, I'm excited about it now and I've been working on it. It's midway through the week. I'm gonna, you want me to change messages on Wednesday? Like, and he's like, it's not for this weekend. We kept going round and round. And then finally we came to the point that I knew we were gonna come to in the beginning, which is that God is gonna win. Cause then he's like, whose message is it? And whose church is it? And I'm like, well, when you talk like that, fine. And I worked on another message and I put this one back and then I've been sitting on it and I've been waiting for it. And I've been excited about it because I, I really believe it's something that God is speaking to us. And I want you to know that if you're here in the room or if you're online today, God told me to preach this message to you today. There's a reason that you're here and there's a reason that you're part of this message today because I believe it's what God is speaking to us. And my challenge today is to speak what we need to hear for today because I've also had extra weeks to be studying it and guys, there's so much. But we can't do all of it today, so we're gonna focus in on what we need for today and for you to keep your heart open and leaned in because we're talking about this passage of scripture in 2 Samuel where David has just been anointed king. He's been anointed king over Judah. And if you read a couple chapters later, then he's gonna be anointed king over the entire people of Israel. And this isn't the point, but it is important that, that the praise part has to go first, that the tribe of Judah always represents for us the place of praise and the place of worship, and that it's significant that Judah made David king first so that all the people could make David king. And David comes into this place of being king, and there is this incredible moment, and all of the people have rallied around him, and all of the people are are celebrating that he is now their appointed king. And David is, you know, last week, Phil was talking about that idea of meekness, about how we understand the word meek and how we understand the idea of meekness. And, and we get this picture in our mind, you know, that meekness is like, it, that meekness is timidity, right? But when I think of David, I think of meekness. Not meekness, not meekness like, you know, that little scrawny somebody who's like shoulders are sitting there like, if you don't mind like not hitting me in my face, I'd appreciate it. That's not, no, Phil said this idea of meekness is actually this picture. Like maybe, maybe when you hear that David was a poet, you're like, okay, that lines up with my concept of meekness. Maybe when you find out that he played the harp, you're like, okay, maybe that lines up with my, but Phil was telling us and explaining to us that the picture of meekness is this absolute fierceness, this absolute just beast of a person that knows how to contain it and direct it and control it. And when I think of David, I think he has this full, he is the guy who wrote all of the Psalms and poured out his heart and wrote these beautiful poetry, then he's also the teenager who killed a giant. And like not, not in like your Sunday school version, you know? 
Like sometimes we have to come. If you think you know the story of David and Goliath, but you haven't gone back and like read David and Goliath, I wanna encourage you to go back and read because we tidy it up a little bit for little kids, which as a mother, I appreciate. My four-year-old is not ready for the full package of the story. But David didn't just throw a little rock at a giant and it, it says he threw his rock at the giant and he knocked him out. And then this teenager went over and took that giant sword out of it and chopped his head off and then grabbed his head and took it back to Saul and was like, that, that's who I am. This boy is bad. Like, that's David. And then, but David knew how to control that fierceness as well. He knew how to hold on to it. He knew how to contain it because then years later, he'd be hiding in a cave, hiding from Saul when all of the other people said, David, it's time for you to be king. And David's hiding in the midst of this cave. And Saul comes wandering into the cave to go to the restroom. And David's there, and everybody's like, David, this is your moment. Saul doesn't know that we're hiding in this cave. And not only does David contain his own fierceness and hold himself back and say, this isn't the way that I'm gonna do this. And this isn't, man, so many of our moments in life are not about how am I responding and what's gonna happen. They're answering the question, who am I? And who will people say that I am? And how will people look back on me? And David in this cave and he's like, I could take Saul out like this and I could become king like this, but that's not who I am. And it says he holds not just himself back, he holds back his entire army of warrior men and says, this isn't what we're doing today. This isn't how we're doing it. And he, but he, you know, he takes a little token from Saul's robe. He cuts off a little sliver so he can pocket that and let, Paul, and let Saul know later. Just so you know, I could have, but I didn't. I could have, but I didn't. I tell you the hallmark of leadership is I could have, but I didn't. I could have, but I didn't. I could have gone to that place, but I didn't because of who I am. I could have participated in that, but I didn't because of who I am. I could have spread that gossip, but I didn't because of who I am. I could have taken that advantage, but I didn't because of who I am. I could have taken the extra time, but I didn't because of who I am and David is showing them and David is proving to them that he is this multifaceted character who will take you out and then will play a song about it in the end like who is this guy and where did they find him you don't find kings like this kings like this are formed kings like this are made the interesting thing about this moment that we read in 2 Samuel where the people come and they put David in the place of promotion to king, it is his moment of public recognition. It is the moment where everyone turns to him. It is the moment that he is celebrated. The interesting thing about it is that in the recorded information that we have about the life of David, it is right in the middle. 
And that's interesting because when you read the stories of all of the other kings throughout the Samuels and the Kings and the Chronicles where they tell the stories of the kings of Israel, very little information is given about any of them before their moment of crowning. A couple of them have a few lines about who they were born to or about the situations around their birth, but most of them start at the moment where they're crowned. David has chapter on chapter on chapter about who he is before this moment, and then there is chapter on chapter on chapter about the story because David, they're telling us about him, that there is something about why he is the type of king that he is. It's important that you know how David got here because David didn't just show up. David was formed to be this king. I want you to turn, if you want to follow along, all the way to 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're not going to read all of it. I encourage you to write it down and to go back later this week and to read the full thing for yourself. But this is what happens in the life of David. Really even, we have to go back before that because what happens, you can take it down, I'm not quite ready for that verse yet, thank you. We, what happens in the life of David is that the people of Israel have a king and his name is Saul. But the hand of God has lifted from Saul. And we see the story of the prophet Samuel. Samuel is God's voice to the people. And it's been an interesting journey for Samuel up until this point because the people had no king. Well, really they had a king, but God was their king. And I think in among the saddest moments in scripture, the people say, we want a king like everybody else has a king. And God says, I, I was your king. And they're like, yeah, but it's getting confusing and it makes us different from everybody else and it's really uncomfortable, and nobody else understands why we do things the way, and God, it would just be easier if it was just, if our stuff looked a lot more like everybody else's stuff, and if you could just make us a little bit more like everyone else, and give us a king, that would be, and so God goes, fine, I'll give you a king. And he gives them Saul, and Saul becomes their king, and through a series of events, God's hand lifts from Saul. And it says that Samuel is in this place of mourning for Saul, and God says to him, how long are you gonna mourn for that? How long are you gonna keep crying about what was? How long are you gonna keep crying about how you wished something would have turned out? How long are you gonna keep mourning for the way that you wished something would have been or the decision that you wished someone else would have made or the way that you wished this thing would have, how long are you, how long are you gonna stand and look and say this should have turned out differently? And when are you gonna start dealing plainly with what is here and what is now? A lot of things have shifted in your life. A lot of things have turned out differently than they should have. A lot of things have moved and people have made decisions that have impacted you. I'm sorry that the business failed, but how long are you gonna mourn for it? This is where we are. I'm sorry that the relationship didn't go how it should have. How long are you gonna mourn for it? This is where we are now. 
I'm sorry about the way your finances ended up. I'm sorry that this isn't the life. I'm sorry that you thought you would be at a different place by the time you turned 32. I'm sorry that the baby isn't here and I'm sorry that the spouse isn't here and I'm sorry that your family dynamics are different and I'm sorry that you wanted to move and to live somewhere else, but this is where we are now. And he says to him, so get up and fill your horn with oil. Get up and find an anointing. Get up and find what the presence of God is doing right now. Where is the spirit? Where is the oil? Where is the flow? Where is the anointing in this moment in your life? And he says to Samuel, enough, enough of that. Fill your horn and go to Jesse's house. So Samuel fills up his horn and he goes to Jesse's house and he says to Jesse, they, they go and they make a sacrifice and if there's a sacrifice, it means that there's a feast. So they sacrifice and they gather and he says to Jesse, bring me your sons and Jesse brings to this feast, his seven sons march into the room. Jesse has seven boys that come in that have gotten themselves ready and prepared for the fact that the prophet has come not just to town but to their house and he wants to see about them and so they've put on their finest and they've trimmed themselves nicely and they've covered themselves in the finest lotions and they are having dinner with the prophet. It's a good night for the sons of Jesse. And it says Samuel is looking for the new king and the first son comes, his name is Eliab and he comes up and, and he looks like who should be king. He's gotten himself ready. He has on his fine robe. It says he's tall and he's good to look at. And he's the firstborn. He's the firstborn. Now, firstborn still really have it going. You know? Right? But in this day and in this moment, I mean, firstborns were where it was. It was assumed that the firstborn has the right to anything that we are talking about. He is the rightful heir to anything that is happening. Of course it would be. And it says, God said, nope, not that one. And then he moves on and he goes to Shammah and God said, nope, not him either. And then he goes to the next one. His name is Abinadab and God says, nope, not that one either. And the next four don't even get their names listed. It just says, and none of the rest of them. Who want any of these guys? And Samuel just keeps going down the line but I love this about Samuel because he knows what he heard and it says he gets to the end of the line of all seven of Jesse's sons and instead of saying what would in theory make sense to my logical mind instead of looking back and going man I wonder if I missed it on one of those seven boys he looks at Jesse and he says do you have more sons I know I told you to bring all of your sons, but it's none of these, so that leaves me to believe that there's more somewhere. Look at it in verse 16 and 11. Now we can do that verse in 1 Samuel 16, 11. It says, and then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And Jesse says, well, there remains the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel says to Jesse, send and get him for we'll stand until he comes. We will not sit down until he comes. Jesse's like, I mean, there's one more. But he's, we send him out with the sheep. 
He's out, he's out in the field and he's watching the sheep. It's gonna be a thing to bring, and it's not the undertone. It's, you, you don't need to worry about him anyway, Samuel. I'm sure he's not who you came to see today. And Samuel says, he takes his little horn, he says, we'll wait and we'll stand. David is not in the other room. He is out in the field. And Samuel says, we'll wait. All of us will stand here and we'll wait for David to, you have to imagine what is happening in this scene. All seven of his brothers, who obviously think that David is kind of a joke and not really part of the crowd, for some reason, he hasn't been invited in. I mean, even if they didn't think he was gonna be picked, you could have let him come to the meal and to get to see the prop. And they don't even bother to let him know what's going on. And now the seven of them have all been rejected. So they're standing there, dejected in front of the prop. And now they've been told, stand and wait till he arrives. This is not a happy family moment. This is not going out in the end of year postcard. And you have to picture, I mean, it is very reasonable that it took at least an hour for someone to go out and find David, for them to get the sheep sorted out, get everyone back in, and David to come. And they're just there, we'll wait. We'll wait. And they're standing. And I can imagine the brothers. We do these um, a couple times a week. Phil and I have what we call a standing meeting. It's like a, a check-in with the directors who lead the different areas and departments of the church so incredibly well. And we check in on the different areas that people you know, are doing and make sure we're all on the same page. And when we started them, I was like a real stickler for the fact that they're standing meetings. They're like 10 to 15 minute little meetings, and, but it changes the dynamic and I think it makes it, you know, what it's supposed to be if we stand. And I think when we like first started, they kind of thought I was joking about the standing part because we'd come in and, you know, people would be like half sitting, half stand, you know, like that like lean thing that you do sometimes. And I'd be like, it's a standing meeting. This is a standing meeting. And they'd be like, oh yeah. Okay, I'm imagining that the boys are getting pretty tired of standing and waiting for, they're leaning on the table, they're starting to try to sit down and Samuel says, <clears throat> stand, we're gonna stand. And finally, after the awkwardness, finally after the waiting, finally after the subtle eye rolls in the corner, finally they hear the sound of David has made it in from out where he was. And this is the part that I love most because David didn't get a heads up that the prophet was coming. David didn't get to put on his finest robe. David didn't get to take a fresh shower and put on all of his good lotions and ointments. David in my mind is rolling in and he's like dusting his hands off because he just came out from the field. And you, have you ever had that moment where you walk into a room and you're like taking in the scene? Like what? What is going on? This in my mind is how David is entering the scene. His hands and his brothers are dressed up and who the prophet is here and there's a feast at the table. And I, the, 
What is going on in this room? And, and his brother's look does not say, welcome, we're so glad that you're here. It says, we've been waiting for you for an hour and it feels like a waste of time. I have to think that later when David wrote that you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies, that there was something that took him back to this moment, to the glares and the stares of his brothers who thought that a table was being laid out for them, but they didn't know because when David comes walking in, it says that God says to Samuel, arise. That's the one. Arise. Samuel's already standing. Arise. But something on the inside of Samuel, when he saw David walk into that room, it stood up on the inside of him. And he went and he said, that's the one I've been waiting for. And that's the one I was sent for. There is something that is on the inside of you that when you tap into it, when it comes into a connection with the anointing, it causes other people to stand up and to rise up. It will cause the oil to flow and the taps to be brought off when you come into your place of gifting. And David came into the room and it says, Samuel said, arise for that's the one I came here for. And he anoints David in front of his brothers and in front of his dad who didn't even care enough to call for him or to send for him and said, he's just the little one out there watching the sheep. Can I tell someone today, stop waiting for them to approve of you and stop waiting for them to see what God put on the inside of you. Stop waiting for them to be proud of you. They may never get the depth and the anointing of what God put on the inside of you. Just find the place of your gifting. Just find the place of his anointing and just stand in it and let the prophet anoint you right there in the front and in the midst of everybody who doubted you. It says that Samuel went over and he poured that oil over David's head right in front of all of them and this is when David is first anointed as king chapters before where we began and then something weird happens David has just been anointed king in front of everyone and it's like he goes okay thanks for that um, if you guys need me, you can find me in the field. And he goes back out. Okay. If you were anointed king in front of all your haters, you are not heading back out with the sheep. You're like, <clears throat> I don't know if everyone saw, but the prophet said, that I'm the new king. I need to begin practicing, directing my subjects. I need y'all to bring me some things. I need to sit and I need to prepare. I need to be in the house. And Dave, but this isn't how David, David's like, I'll be back in the field. When you need me, you can find me in the field. And David goes back out. I know he goes back out because if you keep reading in chapter 16, it says that Saul is in a place where he is tormented day and night and he can't find any rest and he can't find any peace. And so he says, 
Will someone please get me a minstrel who can come and can play for me? Because Saul understood that in his place of torment, there was something about worship that would lift the heaviness of his burden. There was something about surrender. There was something about a sweet song and a sweet melody that would find him in the place of peace again. And so he says, will you send me? And some of his guys say, oh, We've heard about this guy. He's one of Jesse's sons, and he's out with the sheep, but apparently he's pretty good with a harp. And so, Jesse, or so Saul says to him, go get me Jesse's boy. And they go out to the field to find David again and drag him into the king's court that will one day be his court and say, play a song. And David doesn't say anything about it. He plays his song. And he sits there and he ministers to Saul and he drives away the heaviness and the burden and the weariness that is resting on Saul and he serves in that court and he works in that court, that place that he knows should be will one day be his, but instead of coming in and trying to push his way in, David just plays his song, plays it. This isn't how you play a harp. I don't know how you play it this way whatever this way you go this way there we go he just plays his song plays his song for Saul and can I tell you that your willingness to be found in the place of service will put you inside of rooms ahead of season that you never had any business in being in and while David sat in that room serving he was able to observe what a king's court looked like and he was able to observe the comings and the goings of the people in that space. And he was able to observe how Saul made decisions and what decisions worked and what decisions didn't. And because he was serving, he got to hear how people talked about Saul in front of him and behind him. And David got to get a glimpse into the space that he would one day be in. And he had nothing to do with being in that space except for the fact that he was willing to serve. And he served. And you would think, well, David's finally at least made it into the palace. But then we come to that famous Goliath moment in David's life. And David is getting ready to be teed up for the story that people who are in church and not in church know. Everybody has heard the tale of David and of Goliath. And you would think again, if you're going to win a military victory, if you're going to win over the kingdom, the place that David should find himself is continually in the front of the battle, continually trying to win the influence of the people, continually trying to show everyone who he is. But no, David is back in that field, y'all. Look at it, 1 Samuel 17 and 15. It says, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep in Bethlehem. It's like David can't give up being in the field, taking care of those sheep. He has the place, he has the influence, he has earned the right, so to speak, to be in the king's court. But he still keeps going back to the field to take care of the sheep. 
He still keeps going back to make sure everything's taken care of with the first assignment he was given. He still keeps going back to make sure the sheep are taken care of and to make sure his father's flock is taken. They're not even his sheep. David learns how to take care of these sheep that aren't even his like they were his and he cares for them and he watches over them and it says he goes back and forth. This is not a convenient thing. He is now going back and forth between his two seasons, between the thing that originally formed him and between the place that he knows he will one day be and he's just serving on both hands. Somebody feels like you're tossed back and forth between where you came from and where you're going and where you came from and where God's taking you and God is saying just keep serving just keep being found in the field just keep being found working because he went and he served with Saul and then he went and he served with David and he went went with Jesse and he went back and forth and back and forth and his three brothers are still trying to be seen and still trying to be known because it says they followed Saul and I think they're still trying to find out if they can elbow their way in to be known and to be recognized and to be seen But David's just trying to serve, and it's not until David is on one of those trips back towards Saul, and he hears that giant attack, the two things that are dear to him, his God and these people. And it's like David all of a sudden is like, hmm? You say, what? And he's like, oh no. No, no, no. And he makes his way to Saul, and you know what happens from there. He says, I can take down this giant, and they're like, you can't take down this giant. And he's like, I can, because I was formed in the field. And let me tell you what happened when I was in the field. When I was in the field, there was a lion, and there was a bear, and I took them down. And I'll take down this giant, just like I took down the lion and the bear. And David is all of the sudden transferred from a field of watching sheep to a battlefield where God is getting ready to form him in another season because after this, David transfers and we don't find him with the sheep anymore, but we continually find him in the place of battle where he is leading Saul's army time after time again on a battlefield and again God is forming him because he says there are things that you learned out in the field with the sheep, but there's something different I need you to learn. If I'm gonna put you in the place of promotion that I have for you, I wanna know, can you direct people on behalf of someone else? Can you take out someone else's orders? When Saul gives you a directive, are you able to go and to humble yourself and to lead these people into victory even when you don't understand Saul's ways? Even when you know it's not going to be Saul always, are you able to continue? And he is now formed not in the field with the sheep, but in the battlefield with the people. And David keeps going after this place of the field. We find David time and time again formed in in the field you can find him in the field and what happens is that there is forming that happens when he's in the field so many of us want to move from the moment when we hear what God is going to do with our life. We want to move directly into that place of public promotion, but David stayed in the place of formation. I think part of what happened with Saul is that he moved from the place of being recognized immediately into the place of promotion and the forming that needed to happen on the inside of him to be ready and to be prepared to carry the weight of what he 
was about to step into didn't have time to settle on the inside of him and it didn't have time to carve away on the outside of him and it didn't have time to work something on the inside of him because it takes something to be able to stand under the weight of the purpose that God has for your life. It takes something to be able to stand and to hold other people and to carry other people and that thing has to be formed. I don't know if you've ever done like a clay, you know, formation. And if you don't put it in the, in the kiln for a time, if you just make a clay stand and then you try to put something on top of it, what happens? It's going to fall, right? It crumbles under the weight of that thing. You have to put it into the heat and you have to let the heat settle it and form it and strengthen it. But if you put it in the heat too hot and too fast, what happens? It cracks. It will crack under the pressure of the heat. You have to put it in at the right temperature for the right length of time until it is ready to hold the weight of the thing that God has for it. So many of us want a hot and fast move to the top, but God is saying, I have something that I want to form on the inside of you. David was formed in the field, and we never see David running to the place of saying, hey, guess what I'm gonna be the next king we never see him repeat those words we never see David trying to elbow his way to the front we never see David trying to push his way into places of prominence we never see David posturing and trying to say guess who I'm gonna we just see David in the field continually in the field. And David was given the blessing of being formed in the field. And one of the gifts that the field gave him is the place of obscurity. The field will give you the blessing of obscurity. That David was able, when nobody was looking at him, and when nobody was thinking about him, and nobody knew who he was, to be out there in the backside of nowhere when even his brothers didn't care enough to come check on him and look at him, and when he was in that place doing what he knew to do and doing what he could do when nobody saw him, obscurity allowed him to be formed. We have to be willing to be in a place of obscurity. We have to be willing to be formed in a place where nobody sees us. And David learned how to worship in the field. There is worship that happens when we're in the field. David learned how to worship when nobody was watching. David learned how to find connection with God and how to pour his heart out before God, not because the people could see him and not because it's what you do when you come together in the gathering, not because he wanted to be seen as a worshiper or known as a worshiper, because when nobody saw him, David was worshiping. By the time we get to the chapter where the ark is coming back and David is dancing in front of everyone and if you've heard the story, you know his wife looks down from the window and she's like, you look ridiculous and unkingly. David's like, that's because I've been doing this since before I was a king. And I'll be doing this long after if God shifts it because I will be found in worship. David learned how to worship not because he was promoted to king, but because he was out in the field being formed, and David learned integrity in the field. When he was in the field, he learned how to do what he needed to do and what was right 
to do and how to be honest to himself and sincere to himself when absolutely nobody was watching him. When nobody came to see about David, David knew to take care of those sheep. And God said, I saw you with the bear, and I saw, these are not even his sheep. Are you kidding me? You want me to take out a lion for your sheep? Well, I don't get paid for that. It's not on my job description. Uh-huh, yup. Integrity is doing the right thing because it's the right thing despite what they told you and despite who's looking at you and despite what's coming through because of who I am. Because of who I am. I told you I'd take care of these sheep and I'm gonna go above and beyond to take care of these sheep. Because of who I am, I serve extra. Because of who I am, I do more than what is laid out before me. And even more than because of who I am, because of whose I am. Because God sent me into this place. And so no, you didn't write it on my job description, but I noticed that it needed to be done. And because of the integrity of character of who I am as a child of God, I just thought I would fill in that gap and I would show up because you can find me in the field. How dare you go in, ask him for a promotion when you have not shown promotable qualities? If you want to be promoted to the next level, you need to behave like you are on the next level which means treating those sheep like they're your sheep and taking out the lion and the bear even though nobody ever asked you to take out the lion and the bear. You better come with, if you wanna move from the sheep of your daddy's farm to the battlefield of the king, you better be able to come in and say, I've done this and I've done that in that space and that's why you should promote me to the battlefield because I know that I can produce results in this space as well. You don't come I'm in like well because I think I kind of would like it no David was formed in integrity and I can feel that y'all want me to move on from that but that means you probably need to meditate on it this week that's okay there was integrity that was formed in David that knew that when he was promoted to king he would be able to stand in a cave and say not like this not like this humility was formed in David Humility was formed in David where he knew how to walk in and to serve someone who he knew seat he was eventually supposed to sit in. How he came in and said, I just wanna do what needs to be done in this moment and I just want to serve how I can serve in this place and in this space. David's identity was formed when he was in the field. David knew who he was. I know David knew who he was because when he went to Saul and he said, hey, I can take out that giant for you, Saul said, fine, but wear my armor. Which sounds like a good idea. If you're gonna go face the baddest giant that's around, you better have some armor on. And even more than that, if I'm David, I'm like, you know what? It would be good for the people to see me in the king's armor. Maybe they might get a revelation about who should really be running things around here. 
It might be nice for me to be seen in this stature. It might be nice for me to be seen in this table. It might be nice for me to be seen in this space and in this place. But because David knew who he was, because his identity had been formed in the place of the field, he wasn't drawn by who others thought that he should be, and he wasn't pulled by what he thought posturing might give him a place or a position for. And David said, I can't, I can't wear all of this. No matter how people are gonna see me and no matter what it's gonna think, and I don't wanna be disrespectful to the king, but this, this is not my identity. David was formed in his identity. And David learned how to trust God. He learned how to trust God in the place of the field. He was formed in the field and he trusted God that if God said he was gonna be king, he did not have to fight his way into the seat that God would make a path, and he would make a path that allowed David to keep his integrity and keep his identity and keep his worship intact and would allow him to move into a seat of prominence and a seat of elevation in a time and in a way and a moment where it was apparent to all of the people. By the time that promotion happens in David's life, it is clear to everyone that he is the king. And this is just a perfunctory act of us saying we are acknowledging what is already happening and what we already see on your life, that you are our king because David had allowed himself to be formed in the field. This is the word for this house, for this season that you can find us in the field, that you can find us out in the midst of the field doing the work, getting our hands dirty with our heads down and saying, God, what is it that you have for us in this moment and in this season and in this timing, God? We're not gonna be distracted to our right and to our left, God. We're not looking for what other people say or what other people approve or what other people value, God. We wanna know where is the place that you have asked us to serve in this season? What is the thing that you have said, this I have put in your hands to do, God, and we will be found in the field of our city, and we will be found in the field of our community, and we will be found in the midst of whatever it is that you have for us to do in this season, God, and we don't have to force our way into any spaces, and we don't have to posture or position ourselves as anything that you haven't called us to or prepared us for, God, because you are forming us in this season, and he is forming us in this moment, and what Whatever he has for us in the future is God's business because he will walk us into that thing in the stages and in the places and in the moments and in the timing that he sees fit and that he sees right and we'll do it without having to take out anyone unnecessarily and we'll do it without having to push ourselves into any spaces because we will just be found in the field. So that business that he's put on your heart, I'm telling you this is your season to start it. 
those kids that he's calling you to serve and to help with, I'm telling you, this is your season to do it. This is the moment to step out. This is the moment to move. This is the moment to get our hands deep in the soil, to dig deep the wells and to dig deep the trenches and the places that God has called us to be. He has called us here in this moment for a reason and for a purpose. And God is saying over this house, be found in the field. When I come to find you, I want to find you in the field. When I come to find you, I want to find you in the place of work. When I come to find you, I want to find you out amongst the sheep. When I come to find you, I want to find you in the place with my people. When I come to find you, I want to find you with your heads down, with your hands dirty, just digging away at the thing and at the place and at the space that I have called you to. Don't get your eyes on what other people are doing and don't get your eyes on how they think it should be done. And do not let your ears be defiled with the sound of what other people are saying about you or if other people think you're worthy or if other people think you're worth it or if other people cared enough to call you in. God said, be found in the field in this season. So God, we say that we surrender to you. We say that you can have all of who we are. God, we say use us. God, we say let us be found in the field. We say work in the midst of us. Jesus, I pray over your people right now, God, that fresh ideas are coming, that fresh visions are coming, that fresh plans are coming. And God, I declare over their life a confidence to work the thing that you have given them. I declare over their life, God, that doubt is falling away, that discouragement is falling away, God, that the voices that hinder are falling away from their life, Father God, and that they are stepping out into the field that you have called them in. God, we thank you for it. Thank you for it, Jesus. Thank you for it, God. The interesting thing about David's life is that David in the in Old Testament scripture is also for us an archetype of who Christ is or a picture of who Jesus is. We see this all throughout the Old Testament. And I think, I wonder what it was like for David. You know, I imagine when we get to heaven that there are these moments where God says to us, hey, let me tell you how I used your life think there are moments that we don't always know about. And I think when you get to heaven, God's gonna say, hey, remember when you prayed for that lady at the grocery store? You never knew about it, but I just wanted you to know her son came home that week. And I think there's gonna be little moments in our life when he says, hey, remember that little fender bender that you got into that one day? And it, you know, it kind of threw everything off. Well, I wanted you to know, I thank, thank you for letting me use your life because it backed up traffic and it made a mess, but it also held up somebody that was planning on going home and was gonna to succumb to suicide that day. But by the time they got home, their family was there and they remembered how loved they were. So thank you for letting me use your life. I think he's gonna to say to us, hey, I just wanted you to get a peek at what your great-great-grandchildren are doing right now. I want you to see how they've invented something that is solving hunger issues and, and thank you for the way that you led your family in that way. And I wonder what it was like for David when he got to heaven and God was like, hey, um, I need to tell you something. 
Not only is Jesus gonna come through your lineage and be the savior of the world through your people, but also for, from here on out, when people read the scriptures of the stories, they're gonna see in your life pictures of who I wanted to show them and emulate. For, I mean, can you imagine being David and being like, man, I already knew I was a king, but now you're using me to show people, to declare to people who Jesus was for century on century. And when Jesus comes, we see Jesus come as the Messiah, and he's baptized on a day, which is kind of when everyone sees, man, this might be the Messiah. But he doesn't start making political moves. And he doesn't start making moves to get in with the best of the best in kind of the, the religious order and system of the day. He doesn't even make moves to sit at the finest tables around. You just find him with the people. You find him time and time again with his hands dirty, getting in the dirt for people, making mud to heal somebody's eyes, getting close to those that society has called unclean and unworthy. You find him time and time again, just serving and doing the work. God has called us to be people like him, to come into a space and to time and time again show up to do the work of what he is doing in this moment. And when he comes, I hope he finds us with our hands dirty from working in the field, from being close to people that he loves, from watching out for his sheep and for guarding and for caring for those who are most vulnerable in our city. Jesus. I think there are those today who are ready to make a decision to walk in life with Jesus. That today is your day to say, I'm saying yes to a life following Jesus. I'm saying yes to a life with a savior who would be with me. People in this room and people online who right now are ready to declare that Jesus is the Lord over their life. If that's you, I just want you to repeat after me with all of these people, Jesus. I thank you that you came. I thank you that you came among us. I thank you for your death and your burial and your resurrection. And today, I say yes to a life of following you all of my life. In your name, Jesus, amen. If that's you and you just prayed that prayer, I want you to stick up your hand. I want you to drop your name in the chat right where you are. I see you guys in the balcony up there. Come on, today is a great day. I see you, sir, back here. Come on, team is coming to be with you. I see a couple over here right, as well. Today is a good day for some people to come home to Jesus. So I see you in the balcony as well. Amazing, if you're online and you're putting your name in the chat. The reason we ask you to raise your hand it's for two reasons. One, it's really important that now you tell as many people as you can, hey, I'm a Jesus follower. 
And the other reason is that you have been welcomed into a family and we want to walk with you on the next steps. We have some incredible material that we want to walk you through. And one of those next steps is that you can be baptized. Baptism is this incredible statement. It's this public declaration that I am laying down my old life and I am stepping into a new life of following Jesus. And today we get to celebrate baptisms with some people. And one of the things that I love about baptism is that it is this beautiful thing that we participate in. And when we do it, we remember that believers for centuries on centuries have come and gone through this practice of baptism. And not only that, but Jesus himself was baptized. And I think any time we get to participate in moments of our faith and next steps of our faith that Jesus participated in as well, it is a beautiful and wonderful thing. I want to read you just the story of one of our people who's getting baptized today, what they said about their story, about what God is doing in their life. It says, he has helped me through times that I felt shame. He has helped me through times where I've been doubtful about my own body and that I realized that he has made no mistakes. The enemy tried to bring me doubt and he took my sleep and my energy and some of my positivity, but God told me that the enemy was trying to take my joy and I realized that I'm not gonna let him take me down. I've felt so much better about myself and I've been looking in the mirror and every time the enemy tried to take me and make me think I'm bad, I say, No, I'm not gonna let this happen. I am worthy and I am enough and that is okay. This is the positive mind and you're not gonna break it. And so now I smile more and I sleep more and I pray even more because I am made new, my God. Every time somebody is baptized, I want us to remember that it is a story and it is a moment and it is their journey with God. And I just wanna let you know that today we have April Sanchez getting baptized, Adriana Lucas is getting baptized, and Lucy Velez is getting baptized today. And we are so honored to celebrate this moment with each and every one of them. So if you wanna stand and continue, we're gonna worship as these guys are prayed over and are baptized. This is how we are ending service today in this celebration of their next step with Jesus. Amen.